0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. Check, check. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John. We're going to be starting our series in the book of John tonight. We're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. So that's John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Let me pray before we get started. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us the revelation of you in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we read your word and we hear it explained and as I explain it, Father, that you would awaken the dead and that you would give new life. To those who are seeking to follow you. Pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had one of those don't look at me moments? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, I I know I've had a don't look at me moment. Usually that happens when Something's wrong, or you really need an explanation for something. And the person who sees that something is wrong looks at you with a look like, did you, did you do this? And uh, if you've ever seen one of those dog shaming videos, you've seen kind of this reaction. Uh, Somebody comes home and clearly the dog has run amok in the house, right? Everything's torn up, everything's destroyed. And so, what anybody else would do in our generation, we pull out our phones, we take a video of it, and then usually the video pans over to the dog, right? And so sometimes the dog will just have this guilty look on its face, like they know that they did it. But sometimes you have that dog that kind of just tries to act like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. I just walked into the house just like you did. Um, clearly, pillows have been destroyed today. Right? There's something. There's something off in the house. But it's natural, right? To to look and physically turn our gaze on someone when we're looking for an answer, when we're looking to solve a problem. When we're we're looking for a solution, we we naturally turn to the person who we think has the answers. And so I think we see a similar idea, we see a similar thing happening in our text today. And the main point that I want us to see from John chapter 3 is that since Jesus offers eternal life, we must look to him to live. Since Jesus offers eternal life, we must look to him to live. And so the first way that we look to him and live that I want us to see tonight is to receive his testimony. We must look to him to live and we must receive his testimony. Look with me at John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so here in John 3, we we have Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus right? He's a highly ranking Pharisee. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And, and while we can't say for sure why he comes at night, what we can say is that he comes to Jesus. And what's interesting here is that Nicodemus isn't hostile to Jesus, right? He, he, he starts off with affirming things that are true about Jesus, He doesn't fully affirm who Jesus is, but he does call Jesus rabbi or teacher. So so he gives Jesus the respect that he needs as a teacher or that he has as a teacher. And Nicodemus says that Jesus is not just a teacher, but he's a teacher from God and that God is with him. And so we see that Nicodemus affirms some things about Jesus, but then that's kind of it. So after this, Jesus goes ahead and he brings up what's missing from Nicodemus's affirmation. Jesus answers Nicodemus and says that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is cutting to the chase and you might be kind of wondering or taking off balance what what is Jesus getting at here why does he reply this way and Nicodemus doesn't understand either he he doesn't understand that Jesus is speaking of a spiritual reality he he asks him what do you mean can I be born again can I be naturally born again And so Jesus breaks it down for him and and he explains to him that being born again, right, is a is a metaphor for the spiritual realities that happen. But yet again, Nicodemus seems confused. He 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 responds, How can these things be? So Jesus has explained that it's spiritual realities that he's talking about, but Nicodemus is still confused. And so finally after this, Jesus rebukes Nicodemus and says, are you not a teacher of Israel? And we actually see this theme over and over and over in the gospels where Jesus confronts a Pharisee and he confronts a a religious highly ranking officer. And he explains to them from the scripture how he's the fulfillment of that scripture, and they look at him confused. Sometimes they would understand, and sometimes they genuinely didn't understand. But each and every Pharisee would have to be very familiar with books like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah. But they would constantly misunderstand What Jesus was saying. Because what Jesus is saying here is that to see the kingdom of God, you need the Holy Spirit to give you new life. And that's what it means to be born again. It's to be given new life by the Holy Spirit so that you repent and believe. And and with the dawning of the kingdom of God, the coming of Jesus as Messiah ushers in a new age where the spirit is poured out on the people of God, and they're given hearts that obey God out of love and not out of duty to the law. And so somebody like Nicodemus, who's studied in the Old Testament, he should know that the prophets are foretelling of a day when God would restore Israel, pour out his spirit upon them, and send them a Messiah who would be their king. Nicodemus should know this. He should be looking for this. He should be eagerly anticipating it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Do you see that? God promised that he would make a new covenant with Israel, and, and it would be different. And the difference would be that he would put his law within their hearts, and how is God going to do that? He, he promised that he would give them his spirit. Isaiah 44.3 puts it this way, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, should have known this. But if we keep reading, we see that ultimately Jesus is able to see that Nicodemus' problem, his primary problem wasn't that he didn't understand, but rather that he didn't believe. Jesus says, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So it wasn't primarily that Nicodemus didn't understand. Maybe he didn't understand fully, but that isn't the primary thing that Jesus points to. He points to that Nicodemus doesn't receive Jesus and his disciples' testimony about him. Jesus, the Messiah King, who who brings a new covenant And with that, the promised pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that those who believe in Jesus would be saved, whether Jew or Gentile. See, Nicodemus did not receive this. In other words, he he didn't believe. We must recognize that sometimes... Those in the Bible, like Nicodemus, who don't receive what Christ is saying, they do so not because they don't understand, but they do so because they reject who Jesus is. He understood, or may have understood, but he didn't receive it. Have you ever gotten a message from somebody on Facebook or gotten a friend request from somebody on Facebook that you realize is somebody you're already friends with? And it's kind of weird because, you know, you realize that, why is this person adding me? Did I get blocked or deleted or did I do something that bad? And then you get a weird message and the person is talking to you like you've never experienced that person talking to you. Hello, how are you today, this fine day? And you're like, that doesn't seem right. (laughs) They're asking you questions that they would never really ask you. And then it usually ends up with them asking you for some sort of payment that would be really weird. Like, wire this money to my account. Like, won't I see you at lunch? Why? What's happening? And it's not that you wouldn't have fun talking to your friend, and it's not that you wouldn't loan your friend money, but it's that you don't believe that the person is writing you is who they say they are. It's a scam, right? It's not them. And it's obvious, painfully obvious to anybody who knows that person, that they wouldn't talk to you like that. And in a similar way, Jesus is showing us that it's, it's obvious that if you pay attention to the Old Testament that he is the fulfillment and he's exactly who he says he is. You'd see that and you'd receive the message and the testimony of the Messiah who's ushering in the kingdom of God. And and the seal of the new covenant, the the Holy Spirit who gives new birth, who gives eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus is king, You, you would receive that message. And this is what Nicodemus failed to have. He failed to have a new birth that would lead to the opening of his eyes and of his heart to who Jesus is. And so that's the first point, is that we we must receive Jesus's testimony. If we're to look to him and live, since he offers eternal life, we are to receive his testimony. And when we think about that, we we can never forget that believing in Christ, but believing in Jesus is a gift of the Holy Spirit. When when we're telling people that they have to be born again, we are telling them that a miracle has to happen in their heart. But I don't want you to hear that and get discouraged because ultimately that means that no matter how hardened someone is to hearing the gospel or believing the gospel, ultimately, as long as there is breath in their lungs, there is still hope. So don't stop praying for your family members. Don't stop praying for your friends. Don't stop sharing the good news of Christ with them because it is the Spirit who gives new life and can make someone born again. The Holy Spirit can remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh just like the prophets of old promised. But I want to make an application to those of you who are believers here tonight, which would probably be most of you. You you believe and you understand Jesus' words because the Holy Spirit is living within you. And so when you come to understand that you are a believer in Christ because of his Spirit, It gives you humility to walk with him. It gives you the understanding that Jesus is not something that you would ultimately choose, but that you had to be born again to love him. But another practical thing that means, when we talk about receiving Jesus's testimony, we we really shouldn't separate that from the entirety of the Bible. When when you receive Jesus, when you receive his testimony, you also receive the spirit-inspired word. And so don't, don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible has a lot of hard things to understand, hard things to grasp. Everyone around us doesn't always like what the Bible has to say. But we follow Jesus and we receive his testimony, no matter what it makes us look like to others. When Jesus tells you something in his word, believe it. Receive his testimony and follow him. And you don't have to understand everything perfectly, but you can follow Jesus day by day, receiving the daily Bread that he provides to you one step at a time in his word. Growing in grace as Jesus teaches you all you need to know. So, if the first way that we see and look to Jesus is by receiving his testimony, the second way I want us to see that we look to Jesus is by looking to him in belief. It's simply by looking to him in belief. What do we find out is Jesus' testimony about himself? If we keep going, we, we, we see some pretty amazing things. After telling Nicodemus that his problem is that he doesn't receive his testimony, Jesus says this, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And so here Jesus plainly says that he has a special access to the knowledge of heaven, because he's the son of man. And you'll see that phrase, the son of man, over and over in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. In John, he repeats it over and over again. And actually, sometimes the son of man actually just means human. If, if you see it in the Old Testament, sometimes it, it seems like being a son of man just means to be human. But sometimes... The phrase, Son of Man, is used in a special way. It's used to refer to the Messiah who would suffer and die and be raised again. Daniel 7 says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So when Jesus is referring to himself here as the Son of Man, it's kind of an ambiguous way to nod to Daniel 7, to Daniel 7 that he is the fulfillment of, that, that he is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the God-Man, the second person of the Trinity who would suffer and die for sinners. Only he who ascended into heaven and descended onto earth can tell us about heavenly things. Because he is the word made flesh, as John 1 1 says. And this is Jesus's testimony about himself. But what else does Jesus say? What else does Jesus testify about himself? After this, Jesus says something almost even more incredible. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the serpent in the wilderness points to Jesus. Now, okay, if you're not familiar with this story about Moses, It happens in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. And basically what happens here is God has freed Israel from slavery in Egypt. And the Israelites are complaining against God and against Moses because they're, they're in the desert. They don't have enough food and they don't have enough water. And in his judgment, God actually sends fiery serpents among the people. And so some of these serpents actually bite and kill some of the Israelites. And so it's a scary thing happening. And so here's what God does in his mercy. And the Lord said to Moses, this is Numbers 21, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Wow. And so Jesus says that just like the bronze serpent, he must be lifted up. Just like the bronze serpent, if you look to him, you are saved from judgment. Just like the bronze serpent, if you look to Jesus, you will live. But the lifting up of Jesus would look a little bit different than the bronze serpent. Because Jesus would be lifted up on a cross as the Son of Man to die for the sins of the people. That whoever looked to him would be given not just life, but life eternal. But not only that, you see, because when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in three days, he would be lifted up out of the grave and exalted to the right hand of God the Father. That whoever would look to him would also be resurrected from the grave and given eternal life. You see, when God paints a picture for us like he did in Numbers, it wasn't just for the weirdness of a serpent being lifted up in the desert, but it's to point us forward to Jesus, who would be lifted on a cross and then lifted in exaltation. You know, before really this semester, the job that I had was in sales. And uh, we had a sales force system that was pretty old school. So if you've ever seen the movie War Games that came out in the 80s, that's what our system looked like. It it was like a a green and black DOS-based system. And none of you know what that is, and that's how old it is, right? But anyway, in order to get from page to page, you would actually have to put in a little number in the upper left-hand corner, and then hit Enter, and then it would take you to a new page. And so really a big part of my job was memorizing which numbers went with which page. And uh, eventually, you'd get pretty good at it. But every now and again, you'd have to do something that you just could not remember what number it was because you did it so infrequently. But thankfully, there were a couple of people there at the job who'd been working so long that they knew the system backwards and forwards. And they could tell me anything I needed to know. Anytime I needed help, I could go to them. I could look to those people for help when I needed a solution, I could look to them for answers when I need to solve problems. And I think it's really similar to what we see about Jesus here. We are to look to him for the greatest problem we will ever face. Our sin problem, judgment, death. And watch this. Jesus gives the greatest answer we could ever receive. Because Jesus tells us that if we look to him, if we look to Jesus, he gives not just life in escape, but life everlasting with him. I'll say that again. If we look to Jesus, he gives not just life in escape, but life everlasting with him. Because you see, in the desert, the Israelites had sinned and they, they were being judged by God. And when they turned from their sin and asked for relief, God sent them relief. They could live. And here we have Jesus, greater than Moses, greater than the serpent who was lifted up, who not only offers temporary relief from judgment but offers complete forgiveness from the ultimate and final judgment. And so when we look to Jesus and believe his testimony about who he is, we find that he can fully and finally forgive sin because he's lifted up on a cross to pay for it. And some of you in here who are believers, you're you're frequently haunted by your sin. You're, You're haunted by your past, and Satan uses it to tempt you to despair. But don't forget that those who look to Jesus, they're really forgiven. Finally, fully, and forever, those who keep their eyes on him their sins have been washed away. Those who look to the Son are cleansed and healed and forgiven and made new. So fight the accuser, the accuser Satan, with this truth, that you look to Jesus and you will have eternal life. When we come to Jesus, the life giver and life sustainer and eternal life promiser, we can really look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. There will be coming a day where Jesus returns and we will be resurrected in glory and we'll spend eternity without pain and without sadness and without sin. And it's because of our eternal life giver, Jesus. It's not a fairy tale, it's not a false hope that gives us a nice feeling. That's not what heaven is, that's not what the new earth and the new heavens are. Just as the wood that you are sitting against tonight is real, so is the reality of heaven. We'll have real bodies on a real earth with human Jesus on this earth that has been recreated perfectly. And in a world of disappointment and pain and loss, this is meant to give us hope that Jesus offers eternal life. Have you received Jesus's testimony? Do you look to him in belief? I pray that you would. You know, right after this passage, we have one of the most famous passages of scripture, at least in modern history, it's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And and doesn't that ring so much sweeter after hearing what Jesus has done to be lifted up on a cross for us and then lifted in exaltation. And we see that this lifting up is orchestrated by God the Father out of a love for us. And to prove that this was his son with whom he was well pleased, he lifted his son out of the grave and gives all things into his hands. God is pleased with his son and exalts him. And to be pleasing to God, we have to be found in his son. We must look to him in faith And believe, receiving his testimony that he testifies about himself. But ultimately to do that, we must be born again, born from above, gifted new life by the Holy Spirit whom the Son has sent. So I'll leave you with this question. Do you receive Jesus's testimony? If you haven't, I pray that you would. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the revelation of your son to the world. Thank you for giving us his words, his words that give us life and hope eternal that forevermore we could live in the new earth and the new heavens with you and with Jesus, living a life that we were meant to live, but sin has stolen from us. Father, would you help us to fight against Satan, the accuser who would say that our sins have not been forgiven, but we know from your word, Father, that we are forgiven in full. And as we look to your son that's lifted up on that cross, we would see our sin nailed to him for our punishment that we deserve. But by your grace, we're forgiven and given mercy. Father, make this a reality to us this week. We pray and ask this in Jesus name, amen.